This episode of the Fried Egg Podcast is brought to you by Zero Restriction. It's spring in Chicago, and Zero Restriction's gear is a necessity, especially if you're playing early morning golf. I am particularly fond of their Z500 quarter zip vest, which is the perfect layering option for early morning. Purchase yours on ZeroRestriction.com or in your local golf shop, and if they don't have it, tell them they should get it. Welcome back to part two of our conversation with Jeff Shackelford. If you missed part one, be sure to check it out. In this episode, we talk about Jeff, Gil Hans, and Jim Wagner's design of Rustic Canyon, municipal golf, the importance of superintendents, drone photography, and much more. So without further ado, here's Jeff Shackelford. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. So I'm going to change gears. I, I spent some time in uh, L.A. recently, and uh, I used to live in L.A. I, I don't yes. Know, a lot of people knew that, but that was a way earlier life, and it, it's so funny. I used to play, play like, all my weekend golf at, at Rustic Canyon, which you were a uh, co-designer of. And, it's, you know, I, I was at a point in my life where I was probably the furthest out of uh, my golf architecture appreciation that I'd ever been, but... At the same time, I, I knew that was the place I wanted to play golf after playing a few other places. Like, uh, I'm going to play Rustic Canyon pretty much anytime I have, you know, a weekend free. Um, so I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about it. I, I mean, I going back, I was just blown away. It's, it's one of the best public golf courses and golf experiences for that anybody can have anywhere. And, you know, I mean, that includes all the high price places. And, and this one... You know, you can go play for 30 bucks on a weekday and walk, which is yeah. unbelievable. Um, so tell me about the the project. Uh, you know, how did it come about originally? And uh, if you can put us like uh, back in what where you and, and Gil Hans, who was a co-designer and Jim Wagner were in your careers. Yeah, I think uh, when I did the I was working on the uh, the Golden Age of Golf Design book, and I went back to Philadelphia, and I had been in touch with Gil via um, email, just kind of uh, on AOL mail. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask. Back. Yeah, AOL. He was punch bowl, uh, B-W-L, because I guess bowl was taken. Um, so we had been in touch, and I went back to research at Pine Valley and different places, and uh, he had said, you know, if a project ever comes up uh, and you'd like to work together, you know, let me know. I'd, I'd love to, to do something. And so um, this piece of property in Ventura County that the county had, um, they were looking to develop. And um, amazingly, at the time, there just there weren't a lot of people interested in in um, 
developing a golf course with the restrictions that you would have on a county-owned land, a, a long-term lease, and having to keep, I, be, I, I believe the language is keeping the, the green fee affordable or uh, within a certain uh, number that, that's in line with other county courses. So that's what, why the, the, the green fee's never really gone way, way up. But I don't think there's an actual number that specifies um, what, what it could be. But anyway, so that turned some people off. And uh, this, the one guy who was interested and had some backing, um, my dad worked with at American Golf. And he was, you know, asking us what, uh, who would be a good architect. And we mentioned Gil and, you know, that I, I might do something with Gil. And so, um, so I went out and looked at the site and of course, you know, I'm driving around and all I see is sand in the places where there's some exposed, uh, areas and, and I'm seeing these undulations and I'm seeing, this corridor right through the middle that obviously you would not touch because it was sensitive and a, a natural uh, waterway in, in extreme situations. But that on the sides of that, you have this area that had been grazed by cattle. So it had lost its uh, uh, really great native grasses and really sensitive uh, plant material that you could, you could build on. And so I told Gil, it's, you know, it's off the charts, amazing. And then um, there was a, another developer wanting to do a course with Bob Cup in the area. And, um, and, and the late Bob Cup went out there and thought it was too flat for golf, thankfully. So they built on the side of a mountain at Tierra Rajada. And um, so it then kind of uh, eventually we, we, we did convince him to, to hire us, the developer, and then I got to spend a lot of time working on the routing and going to a lot of the meetings locally, and I, I probably made them um, nervous a few times, but, you know, I, I really pushed back hard with a few of the environmentalists who were, who were concerned about it because I was trying, they were, they, they just didn't understand and or they didn't believe, and I understood why, because if you saw the crap built around here, you wouldn't blame them either, that we literally intended to mow down <laughs> the corridors of most of the holes. And we, we literally had two green complexes that we would have to, one, we'd have to create the eighth hole, and one, we would have to take out two very or three very sensitive walnuts um, that were protected. And otherwise, we were literally keeping what you saw there. They just didn't believe it. Um, and I don't blame them. Yeah, they, they've seen things built with mounds and blinding bunkers. So, um, but anyway, so we, we eventually convinced them to um, let us build a course there. And that's kind of how it came about. And then I did, I did a routing. And then eventually, um, you know, Gil and Jim came out and uh, we, uh, uh, we changed uh, the the back nine is is uh, is pretty much identical to what I routed. Um, the front Gill had some some really cool ideas, and that that changed. I can't even remember now what we were stuck on, but um, uh, where where we you know because there's always places in a routing where you're just stuck, where you, there's just mm -hmm. something not quite. You're trying to get from one point to the other. I think it was over on six and seven because of the environmental issues, and that was really about it. So. It kind of came about that way, and then it was low budget, and but it it um, 
could have been lower budget if we hadn't um, had a construction superintendent who insisted on the concrete car paths. <laughs> and that was 400000 or 450 and just did dreadful damage to some beautiful areas. Um, and the other cost that, that you look at now is it's re- regrettable was that we built California greens. Um, and if you go out there still, the greens are just still not as healthy as the surrounds and the surrounds were built out of the native soil and they're still, uh, primarily bent grass. Uh, whereas the greens are primarily poa and, and, you know, I, I, it, it was quite an, um, sight to, it's still quite a sight to see how healthy those surrounds are, um, built out of the native soil. The only, probably the only one we probably would have taken the soil out and replaced it with more of the, the, the local, um, uh, or the native kind of, uh, sand that's on most of the property is at the 13th green. That was a little more clay. So, yeah, to, to me, it, it, it kind of embodies a. I mean, it was an early minimalist golf course and probably one of the really one of the first in this reborn, you know, era that we're in of like, and it's actually true minimalism out there. Like everything is so lay of the land. You can, the, the slope of the canyon is very consistent throughout. And then the holes are just routed to vary your way around the, 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 that consistent slope in different ways. And the thing, one of the things I, I stood out to me is just how, how simple the strategy is, but how brilliant it is. And that's, you know, the way you kind of feel at all the great golf courses. Yeah, there was no reason to, um, to move things around. And, and so that was the fun for me was trying to just go out there and, and stare at, at these, these, uh, things that, um, were so great the way they were, but how to make them, um, you know, just work a little bit better. So there was some strategy, obviously certain holes, the 12th green, we kind of had to create as well. Um, and create a strategy for, but a lot of them, it was just, um, the simple, uh, make sure you reward the drive that, that flirts with the, the wash on the right and, and penalize the person who bails out from it. I mean, it's really, not that complicated, and that's why I think it has that day-to-day um, variety and interest and why people are still drawn to it is the more they learn those those elements uh, and learn that, yeah, I hit a great drive down the right side of 10, and, and I could go for it in two, and I could see right into the green, and uh, and then the day they bail out or they hit a pole and, and they're over there on the left and the hole plays about 30 yards longer and the view isn't quite as good that, they realize that's um, they may not totally realize it at the time, but as they play it more and more, they realize that's that's all you need for it to be interesting. And then obviously, when you have cool features on the ground, you're going to get some great bounces sometimes and some weird bounces and um, and all that kind of. The more you play it, the more you get used to that part of it. Um, and then it's you know just a change in the sport, all the things that have gone on. And then all the education that people are like you are doing that things that we got early on as feedback now are positives. You know, I mean, the first year or two, I'd always get this. Um, it's such a, you know, it's a fun course. <laughs> uh, and I've told this story many times and I'd always just have to sit there and nod because that was code for, you know, it's, 
it's nice, but it's not championship quality. It's not going to host major championships. It's not over 7,000 yards. And, and now, of course, fun is, 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 a, is the word you want to hear, and championship and hard is, is a turnoff. And a couple of those championship courses in the neighborhood are either defunct, literally gone, or on their way out. And um, so that's been a neat thing. And then, you know, we got, we got early on, we got so many people griping about the routing and that was one where I just couldn't, I couldn't stop. You know, they, they go, well, you have that long walk from 17 to 18, and there's a long walk from 9 to 10, and there's a long walk from 12 to 13. And I go, well, first of all, they're not very long walks. <laughs> um, and second of all, we got away with the shortest green to tee walks in modern golf. Uh, somehow we got away with, with them having the developer be a little bit kooky, um, allowed us probably liability wise to to at a time when you had to be 150 feet uh minimum between green and tea it was a thing um and it may be born out of some common sense at some places but most of the modern architects would literally that's that's how they would design on paper and and, and rustic was routed as well here's the great green site and that's the next place for the tea and and that flow of the round, other than those three interruptions, which aren't ideal, but um, they're not the end of the world either. When you know that all there's all these other great short, quick transitions from green to tea. And, and where you have those transitions, like the 9 to 10 walk, you're walking through that beautiful native yeah, it's area. it's beautiful. Oh, and this time of yeah. year, you know, and I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So if, if you're going to have a long walk, have it be in beautiful areas and, and from uh, from 12 to 13. That's a, a beautiful walk up that hill. Yeah, well, we love and I love that one because um, even though it's kind of a dusty road and I get people don't like all that, but it, it, I always loved it because, you, you know, you finish 12 and then you kind of come around this corner. And even though you've sort of seen that view already on the 11th, it's just you just kind of come around this corner and, and boom, there's this this beautiful par five that, that just sits there and has a great backdrop and a bunker in the middle. Oh, and they used to, Oh my gosh, the, the early griping about the bunker in the middle of the fairway was, was incredible. I, I literally had to measure it. I've already, I've forgotten the numbers now, but I had to measure the width on each side of the bunker and explain to people, you have the width of two holes here and you're griping about a tiny little pop bunker in the middle that we worked very hard to place. We used, we actually bought bed sheets at Walmart and, put them out there, white sheets, you know, in our, our homage to uh, Hugh Wilson and and um, and some of the old architects. But it worked because the bunker was it was in a really annoying spot. I don't know if it is as annoying now for good players since they probably carry it pretty, uh, pretty easily. Well, the thing about it, too, is it, it plays up that hill into the wind. Yeah. So in, in in that predominant, especially when that wind blows, oh, that, that well, blows. that's the yeah, that's a freak wind when it when it comes into you there. Uh, I'm not freak wind, but it's a it's a tough wind. <laughs> it's uh, uh, that it comes that, down through, through the canyon and it's 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 accentuated. So. And then it's one but of the, the most fun one of the most fun greens out out on the golf course too. I think it's the best green Gill ever built. Um, it was one that uh, so so the one philosophic area we had a major uh disagreement difference on was on boomerang greens and gill and jim would both mock my love of boomerangs and the whole 
influence I had from 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 growing up playing some George Thomas and Billy Bell greens um, was was the boomerang and and Mackenzie too seeing it at Pasa Tiempo even though they had they had shrunk in most of my time playing Cypress or Pasa Tiempo or um, well any number of places where I got to exposed to boomerang shapes or weird little little peninsulas so they really fought me on that um and i fought them on that um because i said this is the hole for a boomerang because it's we've got the width you you want to design it where you'd really like to come in and i don't even know if it worked out the way we'd hope but it worked out fine and that's you know the biggest thing i learned on that project from from gill and jim was that things that i thought would work out maybe didn't but a different uh idea came out of the of the discussions or out of the way the whole ended up playing that are just as fun but you know there's there's just some some things you can control and dictate and some things you can't but they just fought me fought me fought me they started then they tried this like they said what about this reverse boomerang and i'm like oh for god's sake so then finally one day uh gill found where i generally in the green site uh, this little indentation in the ground, which is where the greenside middle bunker is. And then somehow the light bulb went off that he could use that and build, build the boomerang around it. And I literally was gone for a day. Uh, I left, and, and I think within about 28, 36 hours, he had built the green exactly as it is now. He had done the shell. It was perfect. There were no changes. There were all these. He found, you know, he created a couple little wacky little hole locations that we hadn't really thought about that kind of also helped transition from the upper level to the lower and all this cool stuff. That was it. And I was like, oh, and, you know, and I, whenever I get the chance, I remind them that, you know, all that resistance was, was uh, pointless because I think that that's my favorite green on the course and it came out beautifully and it's amazing i mean literally that he'd never had he just you know he just he just built it it was like a you know a, a artist going into the studio and finally figuring out a song and boom and that was it and the producer went yeah we don't need to we don't need to do another recording of that <laughs> that's perfect and so um and they've since built i'm pleased to say some some cool uh, boomerang greens yeah, that's uh the boomerang green is is something that you see in California a lot. That's it's just a oh, that was green. what they would say. They would say, "Oh, that's a California thing." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, maybe it is, but it's an interesting thing." Yeah, and um, and then we ended up doing a crazy boomerang on ten at L.A. South that doesn't have a bunker in the middle. It's just a weird, weird shaped green, um, but not that far off from some stuff that McKinsey drew on paper and. Um, we still get mixed reviews on that. We either get that's that's one of the neatest greens I've ever seen in my life. To that, what what were you, what, what what's going on there? What what, <laughs> what were you doing there? So that's it, all right. It elicits a reaction. That's that's winning. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. What? So and and then one last thing. That's part of the the, the the problem with boomerang greens is they're very hard to build with the modern green construction, and that's why Ben and Bill are able when they've done them to do them well, because when you have to shell out this core and do all the layers and all that um, crap with a USGA or a California green, it's just very hard to do. It's very hard to create a very small wing and, um, and to make the turns and the whole thing. So 
that was the other thing that made that green so amazing. Yeah, the the par fives in general stand out to me out there. It's like very rarely do you you know there's there's obviously some there's great short par fours with with three and and twelve is such a fun hole. But like I always walk off that course thinking about the par fives and like it, it, they you hit us you hit the golfers right off the bat with that first hole. It's such a cool starting hole, and I feel like that was like that is right out of a George Thomas you know golf hole. Yeah. Well, and having a, a, a pretty simple par five or easier par five, although <clears throat> there was a lot of trouble there, and there, there still is. Um, and then a hard par four was was definitely from that uh, playbook, and then it just fit. And then everything you, you see on the first green uh, or the first hole was there. Uh, the contours. Uh, so we basically just added the bunker, uh, and we added a bump. Uh, to the left of the green so that if you bailed out, you went forward in two, but you bailed out left, you had this sort of bump uh, to deal with. And everything else, the the ditch you see was there. I mean, literally, when I was walking, I have old you know, photos, and there was this, like this crate or this uh, earthquake fault that uh, was just sitting there. And it's like, well, we got a bit, and, and, and the contours of the land just looked like somebody, had, it looked like an abandoned hole. It was that. Good. And even the little path behind the green, even the, uh, the old dead trees, that was all there. And we, you know, we just left it. Yeah. Is that, how tough was it with, <laughs> with, uh, with nine and 10 being, you know, back to back par five, similar land, um, you know, creating kind of a unique identity. I, I think 10 10's, 10's green is one of my favorite greens anywhere the way it, it's pressed up there. But, you know, obviously you negotiate, you're kind of going the same direction, yeah. long hole after long hole. Yeah, that was definitely cited as a, as a flaw. Um, and we got around that a couple of ways with, uh, you know, the developer, we made sure that, well, if you ever have to reverse the nines for maintenance or whatever, frost, um, and you need to start on 10, you're also starting on a par five. And they were more bothered that you couldn't see the T right from the pro shop. <laughs> We're like, well, you you can't have a you can't have a carry over this area, and it's a sensitive area. We don't, you know, to get this project approved, we're just not gonna we're not gonna carve through this beautiful area because be, the area behind the tenth tee is unbelievable. Um, we toyed with trying to pitch. You still could do a cool little pitch and putt back there. There's just beautiful oaks and and anyway, but uh, yeah. So back to back par fives and. Um, and really, the way we tried to differentiate those nine is strictly lay of the land, with a with a fairway bunker on the second shot <clears throat> that was meant to be blind if you bailed out right off the tee. If you drove it left, I'm not sure it worked as well as I'd hoped. I wish I wish it was a there was some. I think the tee shot needs a little something now that it that it we uh, you know um, a pop bunker. We we really love the pop bunkers. We we that's Gills admitted that was a a regret we probably should have done a few more of those just because of how much they annoy good players even though they'll have like 50 yards of fairway and there's a pop bunker the size of their their desk at work um and it just gets in their head it's hilarious uh the, the one on number two and a few others these little scratches um and we just love that <clears throat> you know because it's it doesn't really hurt people the average golfer who's out there but it if it gets in their mind it's great so we just had um decided nine would be straight and then the green literally those contours we actually staked it out rodney hines who's a superintendent 
um, uh, Boston Golf Club built those greens, but they were literally excavation projects. Um, and, and the ninth green and the 18th green are what was there. Um, we were that, that goofy about preserving the contours. And then 10, the idea was, well, that one will have be more of a bending hole. <clears throat> uh, we'll have a hell's half acre in the middle, uh, ish. And, and then that kind of got, that kind of got killed uh, as construction went. And, uh, I was very bummed about that. And then when we had the flood through there, it ended up getting resurrected and, and, uh, accentuated. So it all worked out. Uh, and then the 10th green is, is a product of my incompetence on a bulldozer. Um, I just went back and forth trying to learn how to use a bulldozer and digging this hole. And it led to all these sort of, um, this sort of tiered staggered mess of a hole uh, but then Gil just kind of came in and cleaned that up and made it work and made the, the whole locations work. And then we just had this sort of long green that the more you hug the right side on the tee shot and the second shot, it's a very, if you don't get home in two, it's a very easy little pitch up into the green. And the more you bail out left short of the green and away from the green, the more that long green just doesn't fit your eye. You're just coming at it from a weird angle. And it's very hard to tell where the pin is and very hard to run it up. And that was really the way we tried to make those two. And the ninth, uh, that green is more of a, an aerial pitch into a uh, kind of a, a green like the 18th at St. Andrews with a big uh, uh, kind of uh, crater <laughs> in the front. If you overspin it, you spin it off uh, and you get all sorts of crazy chips. That reminds me a little bit of the story uh, of uh, of the McKenzie quote. You know, how do you make a green flat? Hire the biggest fool in town and tell yeah. them to make. Or how, yeah. do you, how do you make a good green? You know, and that's really what happened. Was both ten and twelve. Twelve, we just had people pile dirt, and then I started pushing it around, and that's how we got sort of this roughed out green. And then Gil came and cored it out and made again made a whole locations palatable, but. And the strategy of that hole was an offshoot of Tana Riviera and, and trying to reward you for laying out away from the green so you'd have a nice full-length shot you could control into whatever pin. And nobody nobody plays it that way, which is hilarious and great to watch. Um, so, yeah, those two greens were the Village Idiot uh, concept. And, uh, and then the eighth green was the only other manufactured truly manufactured green where we did pile a, a lot of dirt and then Gil built something. And then, and then the rest were pretty much just carved out of what was there with, with minor modifications. Yeah. The, uh, you talked about the little pot bunker Another the other par five, five has that going for it too, with it right in the pro right where you want to land it. Uh, yeah. And, uh, that's what made that cool little combined fairway area with the second hall really fun was just, putting those little scratches in there and, and it kind of dictates your layup and, um, and then the, and then, you know, the fifth tee shot again was another one. It just, it was just right there. There was a beautiful Oak down the left and, and hazard down the right. And it just sat there as a nice left to right shape shot. And it was about, um, staying out of the way of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that front nine. It's got, I kind of was, I was thinking about it with, it's got a couple of those shared fairways. It's like that part of the, you know, if you think about the routing and is is much more intimate experience. Yeah. And then you get out to the back and it's the expansive and 
and I would say more dramatic piece of the property. And that was also criticized early on that there was not a consistency throughout the course um, that with the, the two nines were too extremely different. And it's like, well, that's what the land gave us. <laughs> One, two, if you've been to great courses, there's, there, there are a lot of places like that. Yeah. Um, and three, it created this buildup and cause a lot of the routing started working around the 16th hole. Um, that I just found that spot and I went, well, gosh, you, you're going to want this near the end of the round. You're up high, this beautiful view down the property. It's dramatic. It's this big bowl that's just made for a fun tee shot where you just let it go. And, and, um, so the, a lot of the routing worked around that and it's like, well, gosh, I, I want it. I, yeah, you want a course to build up. You don't want it to peak. You know, you know, like spyglass peaks yeah, I was just thinking of that. early, you know, and people uh, I, I, that that may have been the only way to make that work because trying to get back up the hill had to be really tough there. Um, but it still kind of peaks early. I mean, don't, don't you want to kind of build up and like Cypress Point and finish by the water? And um, there, there are a number of places like that where the anticipation uh, factor I think is huge. You know, the seventeenth, the TPC Sawgrass, the finishing holes there. It, it, it's some of it's environmental, some of it is just um, what we normally expect from any work of art, uh, an album, a movie. Um, you don't want it to to peak early. <laughs> no, no, that'd be uh, it'd be the best if the if the best part of uh, is think about Sixth Sense if you if you found out. Yeah, you know, the end of the, the movie, right at the beginning, and be like, "Well, yeah. <laughs> what am I doing?" I say, and then it's just like the little ground contours, like like the like the seventeenth, that little bump in front of the green. There's just like brilliant little stuff out there that's yeah, so that simple. Was one we added. Yeah, yeah, that one was one we added, um, just to try to kind of feed, help feed shots in. And we we did we did a few of those, but those were, I mean, it was literally like taking a pile of a couple of piles from from somewhere else where we had excavated for a green and. We had to lose them somewhere. It was like, here's a great little spot, and and they just look cool when they're they're cut tight with that. Uh, and again, with the bent grass surrounds. I mean, it's bent and there's poa and stuff, but they they drain so well. They play so firm, and uh, and it's just fun. It just looks neat. Superintendent out there keeps them so good. I mean, he cuts them so tight. It's you know, it gives you all the shot options. That's the other thing that does so well is the the maintenance of it. You know, where they they let it. You know, they let it get brown in the fairways, but then that the approaches are are maintained with such a short cut of grass that it it allows you to hit all the shots that you'd want to hit. Yeah, and I get that people don't like the 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 transition from the the yeah you know, used to be ryegrass mixed to to those now it's Bermuda to those that was they've converted for water reasons and I know they don't people don't like the look of that and I get that it's it's probably the the one thing you wish. Um, you could fix because it takes you out of uh, that sense of, of complete naturalness. It does remind you that there there are two kinds of turf grass here, but um, you know that's the price you pay for for uh, affordability and a lot of other things. Uh, but it, that was another criticism early on of the course that you could you could putt from anywhere off the greens. <laughs> and, I mean, can you imagine that? People say nobody says that anymore now. Yeah. But I got that all the time. Like, God, you could just you could just hit a bad shot and like putt from anywhere. And I'd go, Yes, that's that's fun, isn't it? Uh, and they'd like, Ooh, 
And that was just all product of the time and the golf digest mentality of, of resistance to scoring and all the, the fundamentals of what people thought a golf course should be and not, you know, being ignorant of Lynx golf or uh, any number of things. So it's, I mean, that's, that's, so we're talking 2002. So it's amazing to think, uh, I mean, I, it, in a way it's frustrating. It seems like, well, that, um, it took that long for people to figure these things out. But then when you think about it, eh, you know, 17 years ago, um, it's amazing how much people have, have changed. And, um, and your, your pod with, with, uh, uh, Will on the national links trust really got me thinking I was about to write a column. Uh, now I'm going to go down a rat hole, but I got to tell you, that was mm-hmm. a really good pod. First of all, uh, I hope everybody listens to it. And, and if they're still listening to this and then, um, but, you know, we lose patience sometimes with how long it takes people to come around on things. And, you know, I, I'm writing a column for Golf Week on Beth Page, and my view going into the column was, well, this going to Muni's has been a failure in terms of championships because this is it. We have Beth Page, Harding, Park, Torrey Pines one more time, and then Beth Page, and then it's over. And we're back to country clubs and 8,000-yard new courses and but then I thought about it more after listening to that pod, and I was like, well, wait a second. Think about where we've come. Beth Page and these things have opened people's eyes, and now look at this. We're gonna, we have a movement towards, a huge movement towards getting these munis back. And really, it's in an amazingly short amount of time when you think about the clock and, and the calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's my point in all this rambling is that it, it seems like uh, an uphill struggle to convince people of the right things that they'll really enjoy over and over again, but it really doesn't take as long as, as we think. Yeah, it was, that's something that kind of dovetailed into one of the questions I had about Rustic is, you know, this, this was a wildly different, you know, it was oh, a yeah. return to the, you know, when you think about California golf, and I, I was talking to Kai Golby about this uh a few years, he's like everybody in Southern California at one point, like decided that their beautiful Canyon scape, like the, yeah. the most beautiful thing about <laughs> California's aesthetics that are these canyons. Yeah. We got to rape it. We yeah. got to bulldoze it. And everybody went away from it to artificial ponds and in flower yeah. beds and manicured. And this rough, rugged look, it was like the soul of the, of the landscape. And this, this predated all these, you know, now big restorations of the of the private clubs in the area, which have back, you know, most of them have embraced this natural look again. And do do you think that this was instrumental in that? I mean, I don't want. Yeah, you to... it was definitely helpful for sure because people went out there and it was so shockingly different. Um, and and it wasn't, and it is different. It's a different looking place. Um, in the sense that there, there isn't any other place that blends um, a canyon setting with California-style native plant material. But it's not that different if you've been to Australia or you've really looked at some of the sandbelt courses. Um, it has a lot of elements of that and then a lot of elements of links. So it is sort of a blend. But to, around here, as you say, I mean, the fake ponds and planting pine trees and Every kind of tree imaginable that's not native to to an area that has amazing native plants, amazing native trees. I mean, you just don't ever need to plant anything on golf courses here besides oaks and sycamores. They're beautiful. 
they can survive any drought. They can survive fires, um, maybe pepper trees, which we had a couple on the site. But there's no reason to resist what we have here. And yet, it, but it was a, a California thing to do, especially a Southern California thing to do. It fits kind of what has gone on here and a lot of different things. They're, they're, they're just people like to reimagine the landscape like somewhere else where most of the people have come from who live here. Um, and now that's changed. There's now a, uh, a love of, uh, uh, of embracing what, uh, is native to California and, um, and it's fantastic. And I, so, yeah, I think locally it was definitely, uh, a big part of, of that, that movement. And then there's just also been things going on where either we've had a couple of, of, um, incentive programs to, to reduce water and take turf out of play and replace with native material. We've had some laws change on planting non-native trees. Um, and then we've just had an overall awareness of, of the general health of a, of a course can be greater with a little less turf with these native trees, native this, native that. Um, Cause there was a, a stigma to native that was expensive. And now we've overcome that. Now people realize, well, wait a second. No, Pine trees are expensive in like 15 different ways and create headaches for turf. And so superintendents have become educated on these things as well. And are they're the ones who know how to make, uh, you know, the, art, the architects sound like artists, you know, being artistes making the case. But the superintendent's the one now who's so good at coming in and going, oh, well, here's the, once they got on board, here's the, here's the uh, cost uh case that that they can make to a to golfers and they they get it now for a word from our sponsors this episode is powered by td ameritrade great players change the game and td ameritrade's innovations have always been game-changing for investors from being the first brokerage to let you trade on your phone to being the first to feature voice trading on amazon alexa td ameritrade has always led the way with breakthrough technology that brings the market to you Visit tdameritrade.com slash fried egg to learn more. Member SIPC. Now back to Jeff Shackelford. I think that's an important point, too, with what you were, were you talking about with, um, you know, the time and, you know, people coming around to this idea is that also we're, you know, the, the superintendents today versus, you know, 20 years yes. ago. I have huge difference. Just a wealth of more knowledge, not only on agronomy and turf conditions, but also the architecture. There's, you know, a, a whole new group of, you know, superintendents, the young superintendents that uh, have really embraced the architecture and, and become an extension of, and with all the restoration work, you know, they get to be there with the architects, spend time, be part of these projects. It's it's developed a whole new, you know, breed of maintenance. It has, yeah, and they really are an amazing group in the golf industry. Uh, when you think about um, the way they used to view course setup, course design, um, and then and then the the making the the case to the people who who write the checks, they are uh, they're incredible. And you know, you look at Jeff at, at Rustic Canyon. I, I think he probably thought a lot of the things we wanted to do there were pretty kooky and weird and, and a lot of superintendent. I mean, he was young enough that he adapted and now, you know, and, and really embraced it. Um, but it's, it's amazing 
when you think about, say, 2000 or so or late 90s, um, when the minimalist types would, would try to make the case for these various things, whatever it is, pl uh, playability issues or design ideas or things like the plant material and the agronomics um, uh, and, the, and, the, and the where you have turf and where you don't have turf and cart paths and all that and how much now this, the, that that is the key to the whole thing coming together is having that person who who can carry it out and maintain it, um, but then also help make all those cases uh, for the people who are still skeptical of cost or um, function. And uh, yeah, it's 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 been a big part of the the movement. And uh, and then when you meet one of those those superintendents and you see their passion for the detail and the little stuff. I mean, uh, it is, uh, it's contagious and, uh, uh, and gosh, it just, when you go to one of those places and, you know, a lot of people may not recognize those things or if they're pointed out to them, it just takes the whole, uh, round and the experience and your feeling about the place, uh, up so many levels. Yeah, yeah, it's the the superintendents are definitely without a doubt the most underappreciated uh, people in golf. Cause, yeah, uh, they are, and yeah, you know, like when I go into these majors, I've, I I can't do it at Augusta, um, but uh, I I I've just got to keep I keep reminding myself like you've got to keep telling because cause I'm basically the only media person <laughs> who even knows that they're doing anything um, and working these hideous hours but then i'm also you know going out there and seeing some of the the detail work they're doing or some of the stuff they have to deal with uh because yeah after a rain or something um and just got to keep telling that story because it's a profession that i've started hearing rumblings from a lot of longtime superintendents are suddenly they're starting to hit a wall mm -hmm. in terms of attracting new younger talent that wasn't the case, um, and that's been a big part of this movement, I'd say, in the last 15 years. That wasn't the case at all. The turf schools were turning out amazing uh, people and talents, and the, and the, um, the salaries were, were going up. And now I'm, I'm kind of hearing you know, all this little, these little anecdotal things here and there that that's flatlining or there are concerns. And... Um, and when you see these majors and what they're doing um, and, and the work that goes in and the lack of uh, still the lack of, of, of notoriety that they're getting, uh, not just the superintendent, but the people doing the actual work, um, it, it, it's not good. We need we need to let people know. They also just need to know. Um, so when some tour pro whines about something you know how much how much better golf course conditioning is on a day-to-day -day basis in tournament golf or in regular golf than it's ever been it's it's off the charts how good it is yeah it's it's sad that the so good the, sometimes frankly let's be honest the it's, the, it's the labor thing's crazy to me because i i think about it it's it's like a great job for for like if you think about what you do, you spend. Uh, granted, like you got to get up early. It's hard work. Yeah. But but they you get paid very well as a superintendent, and it's a like a it would be a very fulfilling job. Like you're not sitting in an office. You're 
you're getting to just ha- be outside on the golf course and, and you get to manage people, but like it is a, it is, it would be a great job. I would be a superintendent if I could um, kind of do it. Yeah. I mean, it, they, 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 they're paid well at the great clubs <clears throat> as they should be. Cause they, they probably generally have to deal with some, some big egos. Um, but yeah, no, there's definitely been a drop off in job satisfaction and I don't know what those reasons are. There was definitely everything you just checked off was, I would say was safely the case five, eight years ago. But for whatever reason, the last couple of years I've started to hear, and it just may be that they've gotten so good at what they do that the expectations just keep, keep getting ratcheted up. Um, and that that could be leading to that kind of uh, that leveling off or the stress factor for some of them. That it's like, come on, people, you you know. And I see it all the time. I'm sure you see it. You hear it in comments when somebody's quibbling about something, and I'm <clears throat> I'm thinking, my God, you're you're complaining about these Poa greens. Do you you have no idea what Poa uh, was like 15, 20 years ago? I mean, I saw a few putts yesterday at Wilshire that did, um, it's that time of year, you know, it's just, the, it's the time of, this is the tough time of year for Poa Greens and you can see the players looking at them. It's like, well, you're a little spoiled. You don't understand, you know, they're doing the best they can, but, um, and it just could be that, that the expectations have gotten a little bit, um, yeah. a little bit out of control. This, I mean, I think every, in every aspect of society, the expectations are at an all time high. So Kind of makes yeah, sense. yeah, and the expectation that you need to be on call seven days a week, and you know we have, especially here in California, we just have golf courses that are open too much. Um, Brian Curley has talked about this; uh, it drives him nuts. And uh, rankings, and and uh, when conditioning, you know, every architect gets annoyed when a conditioning is held against the course. Uh, but especially in California, because a lot of times panels will come, you know, they have to aerify, they have to do certain things. And, you know, uh, I recently had a discussion at a course about car pass and, and you, you, you know, you finally had to kind of ask, well, like how many days did you lose because of this? Well, you lost five days, but you, you know, six days, but you're open, you're, you're open 350 uh, a year here. So, you know, um, there is that kind of thing in our world where we, we probably need to have more golf courses that are just um, closed a little bit more often to give them a break and, and to give out the people involved a break. And um, you guys, by the way, that, to go down another rat hole, you almost got into that on the, uh, <clears throat> on the, uh, the links trust pod of, of more of these golf courses needing to have a St. Andrews kind of day. Yeah, and I think that's a big, big topic in the discussion of saving these munis. That as much as it pains us, the idea of people out picnicking uh, on a Sunday and the lost revenue, I think that's going to be a key element in saving some of these places that where the communities are like, this is a waste of green space. Well, well, maybe not if it's bring your dog picnic day once one Sunday every month at the local. Um, Lions Muni or wherever it is. Um, well, that's anyway. the thing I don't understand. I don't another rat hole, but um, I just I that was something you guys were touching on. I thought was really interesting in that that well, pod. That's my my thing. Is like the alternative uses. Like I I use this example all the time, and people are probably tired of hearing it. But like my wife is is not a big golfer. Right. Um, recently, we were in Pinehurst, and it was like a gray Sunday, and and 
I went I, I went over I was like I gotta go to Bid Pines I gotta take some pictures um I was like do you want to come because they, they told me that she could come and our dog could come like the fact that our dog could right. come she wants to come she comes walks around the golf course oh. and and she says after she was like that was really nice I'd like to do that more right like yeah and and by the way the sun uh, just note to listeners the sun has continued to rise from the east and set in the west since since your dog was able to walk on that grass exactly <laughs> the dog had a great time you know you get home yeah. the dog's tired the dog's had a full day like and like meanwhile and I, like, bet a, I bet a few people even were like it put a smile on their face seeing you guys out with the dog exactly and, yeah. and that's like the thing that it, it just drives me a little crazy like everybody's always worried about like, Oh, well, if somebody brings their dog out here, that's not a good dog. It's going to ruin it for everybody. But it's like, you know, if somebody shanks a shot, I might get hit in the head and it might ruin it for everybody too. But this, that's life, you know? Yeah. 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 So it's, 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 it's one of those things where golf is, I think it's softening a little bit, but it has been in its own little place that everything has to be precious in a certain way. And then usually people go to Scotland and they, they see things like that or they pay they pay at the bar at Fraserburgh or, or whatever it is. There's some weird little thing that they're not used to that reminds them that uh, it's kind of bizarre or different or, or not normal. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, it didn't really matter in the big scheme of things or it made the thing, the experience better. Yeah, um, and that's the thing is like now, you know, when – when my, my wife will be like, hey, can you take can you take the dog? And I'll be like, no. And she's like, that's yeah. dumb. You yeah, know, it's like and, and this is a complete outsider who, you know, would rather me not even go out to the golf course, you know, most of the time. And, right. you know, that's dumb that the dog can't come. It's, it's just so. Yeah. So simple. So, and, and I think the place, I guess the two places that would be and, you know, people probably are already now getting tired of hearing their names, but. You're hearing their names for good reason, but I would love to hear now from from uh, John Ashworth and Goat Hill and the people at Winter Park who have tried to have some diverse programming. And I hate that word. It sounds so corporate, but especially Goat Hill, where they've just tried to do other stuff, concerts um, and just bring the community in those different ways Um if that, and I don't know how you study it, but it, if that's had an effect on changing people's perception of that of golf or that place in the area, I've got to think it it does. Yeah, I think so too. In another one, you know, Andy Staples did one at Rockwin Links in in New Mexico. Right. Ironically, you know, I was talking to my my wife's uncle. She keeps coming up, but uh, my wife's uncle is. I never thought I'd meet somebody from Hobbs, New Mexico. And we're hmm. having a conversation. I'm like, oh, and, and he's a casual golfer. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, people, they have walking trails, public walking trails throughout the golf course. And he's right. like, people are out there walking around all the time. Yeah, and that's been a huge, like a rustic, uh, back to our, our our original conversation, that was a big issue with getting it approved. <laughs> and, you know, Gil and I are just, are are pulling our, our our hair out because so the 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 road that goes up the right takes you up to Happy Camp Canyon, and every day people walk their dogs along that road. I always get a little nervous because there are some big ass rattlesnakes out there, um, 
and it always made me scared that one day I'd see some poor dog uh, get taken out. But so you had bikers, walkers, and yes, it was dangerous. You know, yeah, it was a little scary because a tee shot off 13 could could nail somebody. But it was it ended up being a huge point in getting it approved. But at the time, the people who were in the golf business were like, we cannot have the public using this road they've used for 30 years to go up for hike for hikes or to go work out, to run, to take their evening walk with the dog. We can't have that. It's a liability issue. And and we were like, well, we're you're just going to have to figure out a way to make this work because it's what you can see the community wants it. And by the way, I have not heard of any – there's not been an incident that I'm aware of, I will double-check, um, where anybody's even been hit on that road. And, of course, it has made people embrace Rustic Canyon more because, hell, wait, we didn't get cut off from our normal afternoon, you know, taking the bike up and doing a, a mountain bike ride up in, in the canyon. Um, and and it's it, it changed the perception of the project and – I think it's made people accept the place, even the people who thought, why are you developing this beautiful canyon like this? So these are things that are really important for the golf industry to kind of get. And by the way, they wanted to call the place Happy Camp uh, Canyon Golf Course for a while. Happy Camp might have been a cool name, though. Could've no, been. it would not have. And they even came up with a logo, and you'll be shocked to know it was a smiley yes. yellow circle face. <laughs> I knew it was going to be a smiley yeah. face. The name came The name came from a canyon here in Santa Monica called Rustic Canyon. One day I was doing the stairs, this obnoxious uh, west side workout thing that's been profiled in the New York Times. And, and we were struggling with the name. We'd gone around the place with a guy who got paid way too much money to come up with a name. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, and it was all animals. And, you know, I've written a whole thing about this. Animal names don't work. There's no great golf course. There's no dancing rabbit. You know, he had White White Hawk Ranch was what he had settled on. Well, of course, there were no White Hawks anywhere. What um, about White, White Bear Yacht Club? That's probably one of the best. But see, now, okay, my delineation is it's an animal doing something. Okay. Okay, so dancing <laughs> rabbit, humping moose, you know, all that stuff. Just no animal doing something active. It doesn't work. Uh, anyway, so, and one day I was working out, and we, I mean, it was really getting depressing because we were close to that was going to be the name. And uh, yeah, I was just like, you can't The humping moose? No, 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 no. That, that, thing, that one got uh, off the list. Actually, that would have been better. There were, I said, you can't name it after a hawk that doesn't exist in this area. Um and and then I was standing there huffing and puffing like an idiot. And I look up and there was a, there's a sign that says, you know, uh, something about the canyon and, and all these rules and regulations and a note to Rustic Canyon. And I went, oh, God, that'd be a great name. Um, and and then the guy who developed it lived in the Palisades right nearby and he liked the name. And thank God it stuck. But um, anyway, sorry, um, you were going to say. Yeah, we're on we're on this uh, rabbit hole. You know, this is yeah. what it's all about. Can, can I take you down one last rabbit hole? One last rabbit hole. Yeah. So the drone shots you got of Rustic were were just stunning. Um, and I have to say, and don't take this the wrong way, because I get this all the time from people about, you know, you've gotten really good at television, or uh, you know, you've gotten really whatever, and you know, you always go, well, oh, so that means you thought I was crap before. <laughs> uh, and, and no, no offense. I, I was a, I was a ban, brand new, brand new got, drone pilot. Yeah, you've gotten really amazingly good at the drone stuff, and you've done what 
has driven me nuts um, in watching what television does with drones and and a lot of people, you know, they just want to fly down the middle of that fairway uh, and fast, you know. And that's cool for like a montage opening thing, whatever, gets you excited. But what would you say is the thing, is it that that has helped you develop your your eye? Because what you're doing is obviously you're getting up at an hours that some of us don't want to get up at to get that first light. Um, and, and you did that. But you're getting, you're capturing architecture the way I would hope. Um, and so I, I want to know, and if you want to do this as a separate pod, it's fine. But I, because I, it is a rattle, but I, I want to know what it is you think has changed that's, that's got you, are you planning out things or is it just seeing more courses and getting a better use of uh, feel for the drone? What is it? Um, <laughs> So, you know, a little reversal here. I'm going to ask a question. I, I think, like, A, like, the first thing you can, you know, nothing drives me nuts than seeing people profiling a great golf course and and shooting it in the middle of the day. That's just right. lazy. Yeah. It's you cool. Know, it's, yeah. it's like, you know, it's lazy and, and almost like, disrespectful. Awesome. It is. Um, it is. So, you know, number one, you know, get the good light and B, and then, like, I think one of the things is is if you have an under it's just like a superintendent with an understanding of architecture is going to you know uh get the golf course playing to showcase the architecture like my you know if I write about architecture like I need to showcase the architecture and and I think a lot of people get a drone and they're like, oh look how high I can fly but right oh yeah I oh, love that vertical artsy yeah which sometimes is cool but there yeah. and and it's great for transitions and stuff if you're doing yeah. video but like the the soul of it is flying low and showing the contours because that's really as what as you know is what makes the golf course um and thinking about i i think you start to learn like i was i had no experience in photography i'm uh i'm colorblind um i uh <laughs> i didn't know anything yeah. about, right. about about light and and then you start to as you do it more and more, you start to understand the light. And then when you're driving somewhere, especially like rustic, I'd been before you start, you know, it's early in the morning, you're driving an hour and you're thinking about like, okay, what holes are going to be mm. the best early versus what holes are you going to have to Good. wait longer? So for? there was some planning. Okay. Oh, I mean, you yeah. just start to, it starts to become like kind of second nature and then you get the drone up. And then one of the beauties of the drone is if you get it up a high early, you can see where everywhere's that's getting the great light. And you go yeah. there, and then you see what spots you're going to have to wait on, and and you kind of plan it out that way. And and I, uh, I but yeah, it's a lot of practice, though. Like it, it takes a long time to get uh -huh. comfortable with the drone. Yeah, what would you say is the thing <clears throat> um, that that just time wise, you know, uh, using it uh, that that you've developed or learned from that? What what is the thing that's that's changed? Just I, think, I mean, is it some of it the technology too, or I think um, the light, understanding light, and okay. and um, so it, I think where I haven't done a ton of it, I have all this video that I haven't used of you know a lot of great places that I'm planning to do a lot more of, and you know hopefully Rustic will be the next one here. But like, is like getting the the panning shots where you're able to take sun, you know of that green showing the contours at a low angle with the sun coming in 
is the most magical shot you can show because it, you know, it's like, um, I saw David Normoyle was on Eric, uh, Lang's, one of his vlogs mm-hmm. and he had just this unbelievable, you know, two minute thing about why he walks golf courses from the green back. Mm. And he's like, if you, if you look at a hole from back here, it was him and Dottie, um, pepper. And they're like, if you look at a hole from back here, it doesn't look as hard as it does from the tee. That's what the architects do so well. Right. And he's like, so, you know, showcasing the green and then, uh, I don't, you just got to find the cool spots like that. The beauty of a drone is that you can go places that you can't go on foot. Right. Like, why would you take a picture from the middle of the fairway with a drone? Uh, well, I- unless you go a little bit up, because what you're doing, what you did with these rustic shots that I saw, and then also Wilshire, and by the way, there were a lot of nice comments at Wilshire about, um, your latest stuff there. Thank you. Is your, cause I always wanted to get a lift and get about 40 to 50 feet up. I just thought that was a sweet spot. And it looks to me like that's one of the things you've improved is you're, you're, you're up, but you're not too far up. You're come you've come down a little bit more. Yeah, um, it, it's a sweet spot. Would, there is like a there's a too high and then there's a too low. Yeah, and it's about finding right. You're right. It's a, yeah. it's. I always think it's. I think it's about ten to fifteen meters. I, my my thing does meters. I've never switched it to feet. Okay, you know, I'm I'm a European drone pilot. I clearly yes yes a European <laughs> um, touch to that. That's it. and I think that's maybe, something. Maybe that that's it. You know, uh, people need to remember. Yeah, because they, they, they I think they go too high. And then you're also getting um, what I've noticed and what drives me bonkers about a lot of the TV flyovers is you are starting to get just you're not going way off to the sides, but you're just getting a little off the center line of the hole. Uh, uh, and that, I think, makes a big difference. And just just giving you a little better vibe of the the the. the the width of the hole and and some of the features it just it just feels um the other thing I, I, so eric iverson uh was on the podcast and he talked about one of like his first days on the job um when he was started working for renaissance and tom doke and he said um tom put a stake in on the right edge of the fairway and the left edge of the fairway and he said right. i want you to build me a green that looks completely different from this edge to this edge. Yeah. And, and that's like, you know, if you listen, I listen and think about what architects say a lot and, and then look at holes. And, you know, even when I'm just walking around, you do this too. You walk one side to the other side of the fairway. Yeah. And that's something really important to keep in mind when you're taking photos is like, is like, okay, like if I'm trying to show something, you know, if I take it over here, how is it going to look versus over here? Right. Right. And getting below slopes is a big thing too, mm-hmm. because then you're looking up rather than looking, if you're looking down always, you're going to flatten everything. Right. Right. I'm sure people really want this in-depth discussion. Of well, no, I I brought it up uh, selfishly because I feel like there's been a, um on Instagram and some of the other things, uh, a little bit of a leveling off. There was a drone craze. A lot of people got drones for Christmas and it was exciting to see what people were doing. And I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I feel like, uh, maybe people lost interest. Uh, but I feel like there's been a little less of it. 
and um, and it's still I think one of the things that's really powerful in golf architecture right now that that other generations didn't have um, as a tool to either educate or market or just get you excited um, is great drone flyover. I'm trying to remember now, right? Who who was it? Um, oh, I remember where it was. It was uh, I was down in in Myrtle Beach and. The guy who kind of uh, is in charge of golf Myrtle Beach um, is is a really sharp dude, and he and he really is thinking about the game, kind of going ahead and trying to like, how is this? How are we gonna, you know, reimagine this place, but also kind of continue to cater to the people who want to come here, but then think about the next the next generation and golf vacations and all that. And I said, you know, one of the things you've got to do is get a great drone flyovers of, of courses. And, and because the next generation, when they're already there, but more and more people are going to, when they search out a course, they're going to want to go to YouTube and just get a sense of it. They don't need to have, you know, well, that's the 20 thing. minutes, but they want to, they want to kind of, you know, we see it with tour pros all the time. They go on Google earth and they poke around and it's like, okay, well, there's where the entrance is. There's where the range is. Oh, look at that hole. You know, whatever it is that they get out of it. So it's really important to golf courses to do good drone photography. That's why I'm bringing this up. Well, <laughs> it's the short the, version. The other thing about it is like I it drives me nuts when you know these courses they put together these drone like and you know they spent a ton of money to hire yes. some of these guys. I mean the amount of money some of these people charge is like yeah. I think about it and I'm like God, I'm in the wrong business yeah. being a media yeah. guy and I should be a drone pilot. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the uh, especially when you see how bad yeah the, it, the actual. Exactly. They, you know, it's like, and then they do every single hole. It's like, who has the time to sit through no. every single, yeah. like, give me like a, you know, a quick overview. Like that's, yeah. that's all you need. Like it's a, but the, um, yeah, there's, there's so much potential. Like I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like one of my pet peeves is, is drone photography sometimes on, on Instagram. And like, I'll look at somebody describing a volcano hole and it's a drone photo from, you know, 60 right. feet up in the air straight down i'm like well that's the essence of the volcano hole is yeah. the, the contour see the the three-dimensional element yeah and, and it's just so it's you know the it's it's tricky it's different it's it's an amazing thing though because i think about it is like i'm i'm not a skilled on the ground photographer that has like an intricate knowledge of of all of the settings but what a drone allowed me to do was it allowed me to have like a everybody started from the same spot. Right. And and my composition, my color correction might not be as good as the greatest photographer, but I I you know, I don't think many photographers have the understanding of what they're looking for. Um and that's the the big thing. If you know what you're looking for, that's how you can do yeah, it's like anything. Yeah. No, most of the best golf photographers uh, have had some sense of the architecture and 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 trying to capture a hole uh, as a golfer would see it. Um, if they're if they're trying to take a photo of, of a hole for a magazine, that the, the best ones did that. The worst ones would just just lazily go behind every green and stand on a ladder and and shoot backwards, and it might make for a pretty landscape photo that told you nothing about the hole. I mean, there aren't many holes, maybe the 12th of TVC sawgrass. There's a few where uh, a rear view kind of gives you a great sense of all the things going on, but most of the time it's, it's just useless. Yeah. There's, it's all about getting on angles 
Yeah, just like uh, I'll send you this photo. One of my favorite photos I've ever taken is of uh, the tenth at Shore Acres, that road hole. Mm. And yeah. I've got it. And it's just that's the beautiful thing with the drone is you're flying around and some and you can just find really unbelievable shots that you never you didn't think about. You know, right. And it's like, and it shows the, you know, the, the ravine that cuts on that tee shot. And it, the, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it encapsulates the whole hole and the, it, it, that you, you hit on something. It's like, I think one of the things that I hope comes of this generation that, you know, golf architecture and courses are such trends, you know, is that we're, we've had this rebirth, um, and, and kind of a shift back towards the ideals that we appreciate we might be completely off a rocker i don't i think about that sometimes but uh we might be all wrong about it but at least now we have the ability to document it all yes and in hopefully in forms that show people like what was going on like with you know and and less of the you know what happened in the 50s 60s 70s 80s happens now you know going forward yeah, no, it's a huge part of, of these projects that I think they are all, already better documented. But that said, um, I have a drawer full of Rustic Canyon print photos and slides. And then I have a box of like six uh, mini discs of photos during construction that are that are um, uh, these Sony. I don't even know how I'm sure there's a place that will transfer them uh, and I need to get them transferred. Um, but you, yeah, you, uh, you look at that and you go, well, Max bear was taking these, um, with this weird kind of 3d camera and they're, and they're fine, you know, but every era has, has tried to document, but the technology changes. And, um, so that's why YouTube and the drone is, is pretty exciting because you feel like that's going to be around a while. Um, but you never know, you just don't know what's going to end up being the thing that, um, is the medium that, that, that ages well. But good photos always age well. I'm amazed at how great of photographers the these guys were in the 20s. Is like the composition of these photos is just out of this world. Like that, that photo of the 18th at Wilshire you posted yesterday. That I think uh, that's from the golden age. It's from the golden age of golf. No, I took one off the walls yesterday from... Um... Wilshire, uh, yeah, like eighteen before and out, like then and now one I did. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was just off the wall, but but um, but, but that old photo is so yeah. incredible. You look at it and you're like, God, this photo well, you know, is just unbelievable. Remember, they had to, they had, they didn't, you know, with digital. The one thing that's dangerous about digital is that you just snap away uh, because it's cheap. But when it was when you were paying for prints. And you were you and, and the older you the more you went back, the more you really wanted to make sure you got your money's worth out of every photo um, with cameras. So they it's just like the golf architecture when the equipment was not as good. They spent more time getting it right um, because they had to. The equipment didn't move as fast. And now the equipment allows you to move too fast. And, you know, that was what Crenshaw kept telling me during Riviera and I know I just didn't get it. I'd ask him like, what are the most important, what's the most important thing? Time. He kept saying time. I'm like, what in the hell? <laughs> you know. But what he meant was you, you, the longer you uh, take setting something up, whether it's a photo or a golf hole, 
Uh, and then the longer you can kind of drag out looking at it and, and fine-tuning it, the better it's going to be in terms of permanence and working. And now we have all these tools that allow us to just go quickly. And, and then the end result is maybe something that, that if we'd just taken a little more time, there'd be a few more little tweaks and it'd be just that much better. I, I bet you kind of feel that way with with writing. I feel that way with writing oh, a little bit, and uh, and with architecture. Like when you have to work and spend a little bit more time on a green, it probably turns out better. Just like with a story, like sometimes the best thing that can happen, I feel like, is 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 something give you a little bit of fit. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I wrote a column yesterday uh, based off after your podcast. And now I've got to send it in, but I've just said, you know, I, I, I didn't want to send it in yet and I'll go back and read it now and I'll find, I'll find two typos and I'll find some sentences like, really? I was, I thought this was going to be a good sentence and yeah, whatever it is, you just, when you get back from it a little bit, um, you know, I, I've encouraged Gil to do that sometimes and we did it on, we had a green at LA South, that boomerang I was telling you about. Uh, Angela, who, who, uh, Mosier, who works for, um, Gil sometimes and Tom Doak, and she'd build a beautiful green <clears throat> there, but it looked just like the third green, a par five next to it. And it just, we just came to the agreement. It was like, this is just too similar. It's our fault. Cause she kind of carried out what, what we had drawn out. And so it was Christmas break and we just, we just took time off. And Gil came back, and we and we had both kind of had some kooky ideas, and we asked if we could do this and this and that. And next thing you know, it came out, and it was great. But it was that extra time where we had the time to kind of conclude it wasn't right, and then the time to mull something else, and it made something kind of kind of great and kind of different, wacky. Well, it's, a, it's the tricky so. thing with uh, society, with like the instant. You know, I think about this with Twitter too all the time. Like I've stopped tweeting out as many like thoughts because yeah. they do, they need, need to be developed so much. And it's like, everybody's in a race to, uh, to yeah. get their thoughts out first. But you know, it's just so important sometimes well, to just sit and really sure. think. And you saw that with tiger with the, with his win. I, I had a couple of people ask, Oh, did you read this? Did you read that? I'm like, well, no, I, I saw the headline and I know I shouldn't go by headlines, but, um, you know, it's it's too early in a weird way to put into perspective that Masters. Uh, you know, where does it fit all time? I mean, I saw so many declarations, greatest comeback in sports history. Um, besides being just so ignorant of Ben Hogan's story, um, <laughs> you know, you just go, come on, come on, let's just let's calm down here. Uh, but that the, 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 our world won't allow that. Um, no. people want you to, to make the declarations and, and you're not doing your job if you're sort of on the fence, like, well, I think it's a little too early to declare if this is his greatest win or where this master's ranks. I, I, I'm not discounting that it's going to be one of the all time greats, but, um, it's become, I, but you're weak if you, if you aren't willing to make that, well, <laughs> you know, that sweeping declaration. It's, it's like become unacceptable to say, I don't know. You know, you have to either Correct. say, yep. oh, this people are crazy if they're declaring it, or you have to say this is by, you know, th this is out of this world. It's like you have to be on one edge of the extreme, which is sad. And I get that, like I'm doing the TV stuff I do with Golf Channel, is, is the producers understandably want you to have a take. 
And there'll sometimes there'll be stuff where I go, why? Well, it's just more nuanced than a yes, you know, one side or the other. And um, and I've gotten good feedback from people when I have said, look, I, I I don't know if you can conclude this right now, or it's hard to say that that was a, um, a bad hole location or whatever. Sometimes it's hard to say, and you just have if you and I, and it is amazing how often people respond like, well, I'm glad you acknowledge that there was nuance in that it wasn't either or so there may be a little bit of a fatigue with some of that yeah it's but just, not yet we're not there yet yeah it's uh all right well i think uh i hope people are still with us i you know uh, everybody probably everybody's either. probably gone you know but yeah. this has been an enjoyable chat i'll uh you know just plan for an hour and get two you yeah. know yeah <laughs> yeah, you helped me procrastinate on multiple things I was working on. Um, yeah, you got me starting to look at more rustic canyon photos because. Yeah, you know. I don't even know if I covered with you the things that we were supposed to cover about rustic canyon, but. Um, oh, we we got through it. It'll be it's it's good. You gave a, lended a lot of insight, and I think I mean everybody's got to go play rustic. I I, I firmly believe, including me. I've not been out there in a little while. I need to go play. Yeah, you do. <laughs> You gotta go. It's, it was it was unbelievable when I was out there in the spring. Yeah. Well, when it we have the rains like this and the hills green up and the native plants, you just get the visual eye candy of all the different. And and right now is even in some ways could be even depending on your your tastes. Um, but as the the grasses now go off color, uh, the other stuff stays. So you just get more contrast than ever um you know like the sage bushes are stay healthy but then the the grasses go you know a different color and then it's not you know i mean you're colorblind sometimes probably this is probably mean of me but it's, no it's, it's a red green, green, red green. Beautiful. <laughs> it's but a red... then the mix of different shades is really cool too and then and then the golf course obviously starts to firm up with the summertime too but anyway yeah, it's uh, it's that's it's just a beautiful place. It's, it's it's yeah, we got away with a lot there, um, and that's that that it really is amazing. We knew at the time, by the way, we knew <laughs> we knew we were getting away with some crazy stuff um, in terms of where the game was at, um, and so we did we did have some chuckles about that. But now, I, I mean, get, I say getting away with it, but all we were getting away with was sticking to what was there which was extreme at the time to people. Now it would be like, well, why wouldn't you? Of course you'd do that. Of course you'd have yeah, bumps like that. You, you well, of course, you want the greens to be an extension of, of the landscape, you know, leading up to them. I mean, well, well that's uh, but, a, the thing yeah. about it, I think Russet Canyon that everybody can learn from is like, it's very attainable for all. Like that's, that golf course, that land is very beautiful. It's sandy. It's got some unbelievable you know, native grasses, but in terms of the ground for golf beyond the sand, it's not, uh, I don't think it's unfathomable to think that like every county in America has a piece of ground that's like of similar movement. I don't know. They might, it, it, it had some pretty amazing it features. It does have some amazing um, stuff. And all, you know, created by water running through there. And, um, but yeah, uh, well, yeah, the moral probably is maybe, that they don't have ground that great, but that they have flattish land or lands deemed flattish. That's actually ideal. Yeah. And that's, that would be the thing that I would hope people would, would learn from it. And it's just good green complexes and simple strategy. 
Yeah, and 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 a little bit of width uh, is a nice thing too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, people need width. Width is not a bad thing, uh, and that one still needs to be reinforced probably more often. But width's expensive too, to uh, initially in maintenance. But if you figure out how to save turf from other places, and we don't have to build seventy eight hundred yards, it it balances out very quickly. My my favorite thing I've seen in the last year is. Um... This place, Diamond Springs, has a single cut and with with uh, with single row irrigation. Mm, so yeah, it's same cut. It's not it's not tight, but it's not long. It's like you know, it'd be like a it'd be like probably half inch cut through the green everywhere, and then oh, the, like Augusta, and yeah, and then the, the native grass is unbelievable because no water gets on no it. overspray. Yeah, and yeah, which is. Which was also a big challenge at Rustic um, to get that laid out. It's it's very hard for people still to do. And then I've heard that like it's almost impossible to even be able to purchase a single row irrigation system now. Yeah, like, people well, won't even sell it to you. Yeah, it's it's a foreign concept. And um, but I mean, how many you you know how many great holes are are ruined by uh, all over the world? It's not an American thing, but but um, anywhere there's too much irrigation um, with native grasses, yeah, uh, it's just it's just a killer. Um, and so yeah, rustic. Thankfully, the soil. I mean, if you, I can just I'm picturing a couple. I, I, I you brought back nightmares, but I but it was worth it of where we were uh, uh, bickering with the construction superintendent, who was just you know classic all coverage guy and he just could not grasp the idea of these transition areas of this sandy clumpy little clumps of fescue and sand and 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 you know a weed here and there um transitioning you and keeping the water away from the native um and you go out there we really don't have that uh overspray issue except maybe one or two little areas but it makes all the difference in the world it's just a killer for fun. I mean, Sandhills to me, it just takes so much of the fun out of Sandhills. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they've, I've been, it's been a while since I've been there, but the two times I went, it just drove me nuts. Just, especially when a hole bends and you want to, you know, cut the corner a little bit. They, uh, the, I know that's what Kyle Hegland, that's all he works on. It, it, when I was there, uh, it was really good. Good. So I, yeah. But like that's, it's, you see it everywhere. Overspray is, yeah, especially in your area. I mean, those Chicago courses and and, and that that have those native areas, and you're just like, oh man, what do you? An infamous Aaron Hills Gate. Yeah, yeah, and Aaron had it badly, and you could see it from, you know, like I don't know why it took the week of the tournament to see that, but it did. I I just love the idea. I, I think the other cool thing that comes of that single row irrigation is the browned edges, the crispy edges. Are right. so cool because then there's the it brings in even more of that that risk for yes. playing at the edge to gain the advantage if it's well designed. If it's well designed, yeah, yeah. It's I don't know. So, um, all right. Well, we'll uh, we'll talk soon. We'll see you out at uh, I'll be out at Beth Page. I'll see you there. Oh, great! So Should be fun. Uh, you know, maybe we'll go visit one of these uh, munis. Uh, yeah, you know, um, well, we can talk about that. We don't want to go down another rat hole, but yeah. <laughs> I have some, I have some thoughts on a place you need to go. Yeah. Uh, all right. I'll, uh, we'll talk offline, but, uh, 
Everybody can see you on the Golf Channel and uh, read you on Golf Week and jeffshackleford.com. Great. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Andy.